0: This episode of Women on the Rise is sponsored by The Riveter, a work and collaborative space built for changemakers. Stay tuned to the end for more information about how you can join the Riveter's movement for
1: women and allies to succeed. One day she just asked me this simple question. She said, is there something that you do every week or every day that makes everything else easier or makes your week better? Like, is there something that just makes everything better? Welcome to Women on the Rise. I'm your host, Lara Dolch, and
0: each week I talk to thriving women about the practical self-care strategies they use to fuel their success and pursue what's most important to them in their careers and lives. We get real about topics like healthy eating, exercise, sleep, stress, time management, happiness, and productivity, while busting myths about work-life balance and being perfect along the way. My goal each week is to uncover a new insight or practical strategy that you can immediately apply to your life to recapture your momentum, mind, body, and soul without turning your life upside down. Today, I'm talking to Jessica Williams, founder and CEO of the Superwoman Project. As a speaker, coach, facilitator, change agent, and author, Jessica is on a mission to put more women in positions of power. She's been a featured speaker at TEDx, Nike, the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, and the University of Oregon, just to name a few. And she recently hosted and produced the first annual Superwoman Summit in Portland, Oregon, a gathering of individuals who feel called to support the career development of strong, successful women leaders. Thank you so much for being here. Here,
1: Jessica. Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah. Well, and I just have to put a little plug in for the Superwoman Summit because I, you so graciously invited me to join you, and it was, it was totally amazing. And um, I look forward to next year. And and I just just want to say that because I think it's hard to find events that really. I don't know, that really, really feel good. So um, there's so many out there. So anyway, I just want to give you some kudos for that. Thank you. I appreciate it. It was great to have you there. Yeah. So uh, let's start with talking a little bit about, you know, I mean, your work um, and mine are similar in the sense that we um, support women, but we do it in slightly different ways. And um, you do it from the perspective of career and leadership development. So can you tell the
1: listeners a little bit more about what that looks like? Yeah, definitely. So I run a business called the Superwoman Project, as you mentioned. And since our mission is to put women in power, um, there are two ways that we think that you can actually do that. And one is you can affect the system by, you know, affecting legislation or policies in, in government or doing advocacy work or helping women get into, um, politics or, you know, run for office. Um, Then there's working on kind of the individual and the self-development piece of it. So I really focus on the individual piece and what an individual woman can do to really claim her power so that she can step into her power. And a lot of that looks like courses and events and speaking. And I'm currently writing a book and I do some coaching, and we're organizing community groups around the country. Um, So a lot of a lot of different things (laughs) go into this. and I have a team of collaborators and and staff and individuals who help me and support me. So I don't fortunately have to do it all on my own.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Very, that's, that's good. Very important. Yeah. And what is, you know, it's funny, I think this phrase of, you know, women stepping into their power, it's something that, you know, we in the coach community say a lot. Uh (laughs) Mm
1: -hmm. Um, What does that mean to you? Yeah. So I feel like for, um, it's actually like stepping into a mindset more than anything, and, and mm. a mindset that is about um, personal power and a personal sense of well-being and a sense that you are fit and well, no matter what the circumstances are. So you can handle whatever happens. So. Um when a person steps out in their power, they advocate for themselves, they use their voice, um, they take on opportunities, they put themselves in positions where there's maybe some risk involved. but all the while they even if they're afraid, they're brave and they know that they are going to be able to handle whatever comes as a result. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's a real that's what I mean around power is like, feeling like you have the inner strength and resolve to manage whatever happens when you're in a position of power. Does that make Mm -hmm, sense? mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, it totally does. Well, and it also makes me think that, you know, that definition of um, while it's the same in some respects for every woman, so feeling like you can kind of handle whatever comes your way, it's also a very personal definition, right? So mm-hmm. how, is there something that you can share in terms of how you help, like for example, in your you know when you do coach women privately, how do you help them define what that looks like for them, that sense mm-hmm. of power?
1: Yeah. Well, um, it's normally about questioning. So I think a great coach asks great questions and Mm -hmm. facilitates a dialogue between you and yourself. And so it's really about helping you uncover what's standing in your own way. Um, And those can be things like limiting beliefs. So belief systems or mindsets or stories that you're telling yourself that are holding you back. And one of them, as an example that I see women do a lot, is they they believe that they aren't worthy of something. Mm -hmm. And so they aren't worthy of the position they're in or the power or the leadership or the responsibilities they've been given or the money they're making or the status, like they aren't worthy. And so helping them come into that belief that they are worthy and they're innately worthy, no matter their status, their position, their their money. So that's one thing is asking the right questions to help them uncover okay, what's what are the stories that are holding me back. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the next step is figuring out, okay, how to get them to commit to A mission or purpose, a why around things. So I feel like a lot of women they they want to stand for something, but they don't know what to stand for, Mm -hmm. Um, and they don't know where the lines are for them, basically. And so, helping them kind of really define that for themselves, um, and then giving them access to the tools and resources they need to actually act upon that. So to go out into the world and you know live their dreams or find the job of their dreams or become the leader that they, they see themselves being or start the company that they want to start or the, you know, so it's really about that, um, like helping them get out of their own way, mm-hmm, <laughs> helping mm-hmm. them get out of confusion and define what they want and then giving them the resources and tools and connections that they need to do, that, to do the thing, you know? Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, and I love, you know, it's it's come up so many times um, in podcast interviews and obviously in, in my work with clients, but just the, the underlying why, the motivation behind what you're doing and, and which you know, now I'm actually curious what your why is. Like, why are you so passionate about, you know, supporting the advancement of what you refer to as strong, wise women. Mm
1: -hmm. There's a lot of why behind it, but my kind of greater, (laughs) bigger vision is that um, it's a fact, a lot of research has been done around this, that the world will be a better place with more women educated, trained, and in positions of power. Mm -hmm. So as an example, um, there was a book released recently. It's about how to reverse the effects of climate change. Mm -hmm. And he wrote down eight principles that he had on how to reverse the effects of climate change. And one of those things was educating and training girls. Mm -hmm. And this is because women, when they are educated and they're empowered and they're trained, they will educate and empower and and train their community. And so they kind of bring everybody up with them. Mm -hmm. And so my belief is that if we put more women in power, the world will be a better place because we'll be able to affect change in in serious issues like climate change, poverty, violence, famine, like all Mm -hmm. these things. If they had more diverse opinions at the top, I think we could Better solve them and be have more creative solutions to problems.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, I'm so glad you said that about that research. I didn't realize that that was that someone had done it as it relates to climate change specifically. But yeah, I mean, there are all you know, there's so many organizations that are predicated on that on that not just belief, but you know, actuality that women there's a ripple effect when women are educated, when they're, you know, brought into positions of power, they affect the whole village, the whole country eventually, you know, it's mm-hmm. like, um, and that's, yeah, I love that. That's so, that's so interesting that someone got so specific with an issue um, mm-hmm. and that it still was true right?
1: Yeah, (laughs) doesn't matter what the issue is. It still is true. I mean, you look at, um, like you said, a lot of organizations are looking at that and um, the Nike foundation, they have it, they call it the girl effect. You know, Mm -hmm. you educate a girl and she brings her community up. And um, while I tend to work with more women in the Western world, um, because I'm working with professionals and women who are, um, have the means or the resources to start their own businesses. Mm -hmm. I don't think there's this great quote by the Dalai Lama that says the Western, the world will be saved by the Western woman. And I see that like floating around everywhere and actually kind of bothers me because I don't necessarily think that that's true. Mm -hmm. I think the world will be saved by putting all women in power, no matter where you're from. But I, I am in a position to affect change for women in this community, in this culture, in this country, um, who I think there could be a a ripple down effect, a trickle down effect to other women around the world. I mean, I have seen so many women start businesses or have ideas. They want to help other women. Like it's like, it's epidemic is the wrong word, but for lack of a better word, it's like (laughs) all these women coming to me like, how do I start a business to help other women? How do I help other women? So women do want to help others. I mean, that's it's kind of an innate thing, this nurturer piece. And so you can empower one woman. I feel like you can empower the world. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's so, that's so interesting. And then the world that we live in, um, especially I think in this part of the country there, yeah, there's so many businesses that are focused on, on empowering women. And it's, it's so lovely to see. Um, I actually, I wanted to ask you because I love that you use the word wise in your description of sort of the ideal woman leader. Why did you choose that word? And kind of what does that mean? What does wise mean?
1: Yeah. Um, well, I think the reason I picked that word is because, um, we, we tend to think of strong and powerful. I think it, that can, um, elicit a, a sense of, um, kind of exerting power over others. Mm-hmm. Um, or it can, it can have this kind of con- connotation that to be strong and powerful, there's, you have to have be in some ways aggressive or competitive, yeah. um, which is a very masculine take on power. And so I think I, that was I chose the word wise because it, for me, really reflects the belief system that I have that a woman can be um, a woman in power. So she doesn't act have to act like a man to get ahead she can use her innate feminine powers such as curiosity and compassion and collaboration and creativity and gratitude and, you know, all these things that we tend to think of are more feminine traits. She can bring those into her leadership. She can bring them into when she negotiates a salary or when she's advocating for herself for a promotion. Um, She can bring those more wise that more wise approach in my opinion, um, to, you know, her actions. Um, and I think that the world would be a better place for that. Um, and now I know there's so many environments out there where it's really hard to get ahead if you're using more, those more softer or those softer principles. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and it is kind of a man's world and it's a, it's a masculine economy world. We're built on um, competition. We're built on who can make the most money and affect the you know affect the most people. It's all about numbers and mm-hmm. strategy and analytics and data and you know and um, I really think that if every woman shows up as strong and wise, then she'll start to actually shift the tide of the culture that we live in, so that our mm-hmm. our companies will shift in the way that they treat their employees, the way that they Um, build products or bring products to market will be a little more collaborative. They'll be a little more compassionate to their employees. People will be happier at work because as you and I know, most people aren't even happy at work. And I think it's largely because of the way that our work cultures are designed, our companies Mm -hmm. are organized. And so if we can bring in these more feminine principles, I think there can be more balance to the process. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Um, I was going to ask you that actually, I'm glad you you brought up the word balance. Cause I think that like, I can imagine not that, not that men, that any men would necessarily listen to this podcast, but if they are, and they, you know, like I, I, I'm curious what your thoughts are around like, where is that balance point? Like between the masculine and the feminine as far as leadership goes?
1: Yeah, definitely. I think um, I had it, heard it said once that the masculine without the feminine is like kind of rough and hard and the edges are are, are a little sharp, right? Mm -hmm. And then the feminine without the masculine is pretty airy fairy and like, you know, kind of head in the clouds and not very productive. And so I think, for men and women, I think everybody would be better if we could find that balance between the two where you, you do understand that there's value in research. There's value in presenting your case. There's value in bringing the numbers to the table. Um, it's important to have a profit. It's important to have a viable, sustainable business model with strategy and analytics and good management, right? Um, those things are super important. But also like bringing in, like you need to be compassionate to your employees and recognize that they are human beings at the end of the day and have some emotional intelligence around you, the way you build your work cultures. And um, and then around the way that you lead. I mean, I, <laughs> there are so many organizations that I think are failing because the leadership at the top is not, it's not wise. It's not bringing in these more um, feminine traits of collaboration and creativity and curiosity. It's a very like hierarchical um, system where it's like, you do what I say, or you get in trouble. And people aren't happy in those environments. And I think um, organizations, they live or they die based on the leadership at the top. And we need better leaders at the top who can help the organizations be more effective and function um, at a um, a more sustainable level where people aren't... You know, right now, I mean, I think the turnover rate in organizations is like every two years someone gets a new job, right? And it's, I think, largely because it's, people aren't happy and they're con- constantly looking mm-hmm. for something better. Um, so I think bringing those, those two in can create more sustainable workplaces. It can create um, more sustainable businesses. And it can be more innovative, more creative, and solve more problems
0: yeah yeah and and, just, as you said, tap into the strengths of both sides of the picture, which I think is really important. And I you know, I think um I do sometimes worry that men feel intimidated by these kinds of conversations because they don't know where they fit. So I'm glad that I just wanted to kind of like highlight that a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. and I, I'm actually, you know, just sort of turning the the conversation a little bit here. Sh- should self-care and personal well-being be part of the leadership conversation in your view? Oh, yeah, I mean it has to I mean, <laughs> well,
1: yeah, I agree, but <laughs> I think it has to. And I think when people if people don't believe that that's true, when they find themselves in a leadership position, they realize it's true when they burn out and they can't sustain the level of productivity that they need to be the kind of leader they want to be. So, um, I think it has to be a part of the conversation, and how you get there is I think unique to every individual, and so you know, like for me, uh, meditation and yoga is a really important part of my self-care practice. And yeah. what meditation looks like to me isn't just sitting on a meditation cushion. It's also journaling and reading and maybe lighting some incense and saying a prayer, even though I'm not very religious. Like it's just, it's about um, being present with what is. Um, but for somebody else, it might be like I don't like yoga meditation. I need to run, or I need to do something that's playful, like martial arts or mm-hmm. basketball. Like um, these, we just need outlets, I think, for exercise. We need um, to get good sleep, and we need to eat well. Um, <laughs> we need to put good nourishment and fuel in our body, and we need lots of time to rest. And um, and then what's really fascinating, as you know, is that when we do those kinds of things, when we have those, what I like to think of as more playful times, Mm -hmm. um, you know, we're playing, um, that's where we can solve some of these problems that we have in our businesses or our lives, right? Like we can, we come up with solutions to things and it's because we're not like gripping to the problem. We're we're giving it some space to breathe. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's, that's so interesting. I mean, that's, that's a theme that's come up a few times, um, this season too, you know, Jill Angelo talked about, um, she's the CEO of Genev and she talked about, you know, stepping away from her computer at certain intervals during the day and having this burst of creativity when she came back. And, um, you know, Lisa Wood talked about who's a, who's a life coach as well. And, you know, talked about, um, sort of letting go as a means of increasing productivity and and part of that has to do with prioritizing what what you really need to do but it also has to do with letting go of sort of this incessant kind of perfectionism and the stress that we put on ourselves and you know anyway so i think to your point having a bag of tricks that allows you to do that um, and yeah it's different for everyone right and it actually i mean it probably changes from day to day right i mean did you i mean there are certain things that you probably do every day it sounds like meditation and yoga are Possibly those are there things that you bring in and out that you find helpful at sometimes and and not at others.
1: Yeah, I run um, mm-hmm. and I'm not a runner, but <laughs> I'll, I'll do what I call a run walk, where I run and then I walk a little bit. Um, I walk my dogs pretty frequently, um, or I'll play frisbee with my dogs, um, and and then I you know I'll go walk for with friends. I'll hike on the weekends. Um, You know, a lot of times I just sit (laughs) because I am so type A and I'm just like, go, 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 go. (laughs) And um, I can feel, I've become so self-aware that I can feel the vibration in my body Mm -hmm. shifting. And I recognize when I need to sit and let like, it feels like sand, like you know, falling to the ground. Like it mm. feels like, Ooh, I need to let everything relax a little bit. Yeah. Um, I do some massage and I do some, um, I go to the sauna. Like there's all kinds of things that I do, um, to manage my self-care because it's, it, what happened to me is I, um, after 15 years in the corporate environment, when I finally quit and started my own business, I was diagnosed with adrenal fatigue, which I think is very common. People realize it kind of as they're leaving their corporate jobs. Um, and it took me over a year to feel better. I still don't think I'm fully healed. Um, Mm -hmm. I have a lot of like digestive issues since then. And, um, I, I'm tired a lot. So I think, I (laughs) I think I'm still struggling with it. So Mm -hmm. it kind of forced me into developing self-care routines because I, I kept going 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 and just wouldn't stop and it made me sick, you know.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, and obviously that has a, a direct effect on your ability to to get done what you want to get done in the world.
1: Absolutely. Yeah,
0: totally. Absolutely. Yeah, what so what is your biggest struggle right now? Well, actually, let me ask a let me ask a, a different question first. Mm-hmm. Um Obviously, this turning point for you in terms of you know not you know getting sick was a turning point for your the way you approach self care um Has anything else changed about the way you look at self care and how it fits into your um, big picture goals like has any was there any other turning point you know that you can think of in terms of maybe you know mm-hmm. corporate to entrepreneur? I don't know anything that has shifted mm-hmm. for you
1: absolutely um, well. Uh, I would say it was just last year, you know, I started seeing that if I would like rest or go to yoga or take a breath, like things would happen. Like I would sell something on the internet or get a new client (laughs) while I was like doing the restful, playful thing. Mm, And I started to realize that it's not only important, but it's an important part of my work. So I actually think about Mm. it as like, a lot of times I don't start work most of the times I don't start work until 11am and I typically stop working around 6pm. So I don't work a full eight hour day, but I think of the morning of me eating, me doing some self-care, going to yoga or going for a walk as actually part of like, it's serving my business. um, Because things in my business started to get better because I was feeling healthier and more, more like grounded and rooted. And, um, it, so it just became a part of like, in my mind a part of my running my business is self care
0: i love that, does that make sense? I, yes it does and i'm so glad you say you said that because i think i mean even people like me who like my entire business is around prioritizing self care and how to do that but even i get stuck in that guilt loop around, you know, like I went for a run this morning. And yeah. I'm like you, I often don't start, you know, quote unquote work, like, you know, sitting at the desk or do, you know, until, you know, yeah, 10 ish sometimes mm-hmm. later because mm-hmm. I prioritize these other things, but there's still this tape that runs in the back of my head sometimes. Like that's, you know, you, you really should start work sooner, you know? So I'm really glad that mm-hmm. you said that. Cause I think I think people need to let themselves off the hook. A and B, yeah, realize that it actually is work, right? You are, <laughs> you're supporting your work by supporting your body and your mind.
1: Yeah, absolutely, you are. Mm-hmm. Um, particularly if you're doing, which I think any entrepreneur is doing, creative work because we're forced to do blog writing or we're forced mm-hmm. to do <laughs> marketing or social media. You know, and come up with creative ways to get our products and services out there. Mm -hmm. Um, If you're going to do anything creative, your body needs to feel more relaxed. Your body needs to feel more connected to yourself, Mm -hmm. to the world around you, to the earth. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think the way that we get there is by practicing the self-care that makes us feel grounded and more connected. Because you can't access that part of your brain that's creative when you're in that stress, scarcity, like total, you know, overwhelmed mode. I mean, you just can't see possibility. You can't see opportunity. So, you know, actually my teacher, Martha Beck, and I don't know if you've ever heard this, but she, she has this um, infinity uh, diagram she draws. So it's the infinity symbol, but she just says that it goes from, your life should go from rest to play and Mm -hmm. rest to play. And there should be no work in there. She says that work should feel like play. And Now, a lot of people might roll their eyes at that, but like, (laughs) (laughs) if we're really in our state of flow in our work, then work does feel like play. Even if we're crunching numbers, even if we're doing hard work, if we're in a state of flow, it does feel playful. And so finding that state of flow in your work and then resting and then finding that state of flow and then resting, I think, I think it's the way to live. I don't think I fully got it because I still, I'm still working on, I get the the belief system around it. Like that's Mm -hmm. fully integrated, but the, the actual, the parts around like exercising regularly and like, I'm really good at resting these days. (laughs) Like my body's Mm -hmm. like, "Mm, I don't really want to go for a run. I'd rather just sit on my meditation cushion and like journal. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think noticing what for me, it's about noticing what my body needs at the moment yes. and not feeling like I have to pressure myself into something. You yeah. Know?
0: I think that's really important too. I'm actually really glad to hear you say that because it's about tuning in and, and not only hearing what your body's saying, but responding to it, because <laughs> which are two different things, right? There's you and then there's the you you only dream about. That you is confident, put together, and vibrant. She's through hiking the Pacific Crest Trail, starting her own business, traveling solo to Tibet, or nailing her presentation at the corporate retreat. You know you have it in you, yet something keeps getting in your way. It's the daily ups and downs of life, the just this time poor decisions, and the constant reacting to everyone else's needs and never your own. The frantic pace of 21st century life has interrupted your rise to your goals. I help women like you, women on the rise, take back their health and happiness so they can make lasting changes and achieve their goals. Together, we form new habits that transform daily life from a slog to an intentional path to a brand new you. Visit lauradolch.com slash Vibrant Health Playbook to learn more about my eight-week total health and wellness program for women. Vibrant Health Playbook is your ticket to the vibrant, inspired, and powerful life you're looking for. I'm curious about um, specific things that you've done. I mean, it sounds like you've been on a you know a, a self a, a specific self care journey for a number of years now. In terms of those turning points, is there a specific self care decision that you made or something that you chose to do that disproportionately affected your sense of well being or success? Like something that maybe was surprising that mm-hmm. you thought, "Wow, I didn't expect that to have such a big impact."
1: Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I worked with a health coach earlier this year and. We did a lot of stuff around uh, my diet and my habits and mindsets around exercise. And, and one day she just asked me this simple question. She said, is there something that you do every week or every day that makes everything else easier or makes your week better? Like, is there something that just makes everything better mm. if you do it? And I was like, yoga. Mm -hmm. and I had been out of my practice for a while because of a lot of injuries I've suffered through the years, and every time I would go to practice, it was like, like, (laughs) I'm actually a certified yoga teacher, and so there was a bit of like, I can't do the things anymore, and I would get frustrated, and I'd get angry about like, why did that woman have to t-bone me, you know, in my car, and why do I have to have a herniated disc in my neck, and why does this have to hurt, and like, I'm not as good as I used to be, and I don't have the core strength, and so it was a lot of belief systems around that. But when my my health coach was like, what makes you feel better? I was like, yoga. And I haven't been to yoga in a really long time. And she said, well, I want you to try to go to yoga this week. And I did. And I just went to yoga and like, I, I kind of followed along with what the teacher said, but I kind of did my own thing. Like I brought in my own blocks and when everybody went to Chaturanga, I like went into child's pose and, mm. um, <laughs> you know... I, I couldn't do half the stuff she was, you know, but I had, there was no sense of insecurity around it anymore. I felt like fully, like I'm here, I'm practicing, I'm on my mat and I'm showing up and I'm going to do the best I can, but I'm not going to push myself to pain. I'm not going to injure myself again. Mm-hmm. And um, and I talked to the teacher and I told her and she said, I could, I just leave you alone in the corner and let you do your thing. Um, And now I've got a regular yoga practice again, and that has just made all the difference for me. And, um, but it took me getting over a bunch of beliefs and mindsets around what was possible and what that looked like and kind of shifting that for myself and Mm -hmm. going, you know, I can't do, you know, um, shoulder stands and headstands and handstands anymore. So I can just do legs up the wall and that's just going to have to do for now at this point in my life. Um, yeah. Yeah. Again, it goes
0: back to that perfectionism, right? It's like, you know, you had to let go of it, which is great.
1: Yeah. (laughs) It's
0: so great. I feel like, especially with yoga too, I feel like unfortunately yoga in a lot of cases has become like a competitive sport. Yes. (laughs) You know, you go to these studios and everyone's like looking at each other and like, I'm like, dude, I can't do that. And I'm mm. not going to even try.
1: <laughs> and that's got to be okay. I'm totally like, I'm literally just doing my own thing. And I have a great time and I laugh and I, I really, I, I've really relaxed in my yoga practice. And that has disproportionately affected everything it. for me getting that back into my life because I've been practicing for almost 20 years. So to not have it in my life felt like a just a gaping hole,
0: you yeah. know? Well, it sounds like you've brought a sense of play back to it too, right? I did. Talking about laughing and... You're right.
1: I totally did. Yeah. Yeah. I stopped taking it so seriously and um, and stopped, you know, trying to force my body to be something it no longer is, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And it's not my fault that I was in a few car accidents and it's Mm -hmm. not my fault that I fell off my bike. It's not something I can like have to beat myself up for. I just have to do you know, it's not my fault I gained 30 pounds over the last few years. I just have to work with what I've got at the moment. Um, You know, which I think has been hard as I get older. Um, I'm 36. I turn 37 next year. And like when I hit, it was like when I hit 35, my body just changed and like Mm -hmm. my metabolism dropped and I couldn't eat anything I wanted anymore. And I was just like, what's happening? (laughs) You know. So like accepting where I am and working with that has been really, really key.
0: Yeah. I feel like it's this dance between like accepting where you are and also keeping goals in sight. It's like this little dance, right? Cause it's like you don't, it's like how do you how do you, how can you accept and also continue to reach mm-hmm. at the same time, right? It's yeah. um I think aging in particular really forces you to find that middle way, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, it's totally that's a really good point. I hadn't really thought about that, but it is, I mean, because I still have you know, some goals. Like I lost 15 pounds over the last six months. And I'd like to lose another 10 pounds, but I'm not in a rush and I'm mm-hmm. gonna let that happen. You know, I'm not gonna beat myself up if it doesn't happen next month. You know, it might yeah. take six months for that to happen. Um, my, my goal is to just feel good. Like it isn't like to have my 16 year old body back. It isn't like to fit in my size six jeans anymore. It's like, if I fit my size 10 jeans, but I feel good, yeah. I'm okay with that. Like, yeah. I just wanna feel healthy.
0: Yeah, yes, speaking of wise, that is a, a very wise thing to, a very wise mindset, I think, to be in. And it is absolutely the mindset that I see women get results in. When they're in that, mm-hmm. I should do this, I have to do this, this sort of rigid space, stuff just sticks. Like whether it's weight or anything else, it doesn't even matter. It's sort of like, it's this weird paradox. It, it's, you know, especially for high achieving women, right? We're used mm-hmm. to pushing to get mm-hmm. stuff. But what I've learned in lots of different areas, but but I think in particular when it comes to self-care and well being and health goals, letting go is often the, the path. Not entirely, but a little
1: bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I've often wondered that. I'm glad to hear you say that because I often wondered if a lot of the weight I put on wasn't emotional and it mm-hmm. wasn't like some sort of like like there was I was holding on to something and then just Mm -hmm. just letting go of it. I started like things started to shift for me. I don't know. It was it's been an interesting journey. You know, and especially as my work gets more and more public and I'm up on stages and I'm Mm -hmm. up on there are images of me out there online and videos and stuff. You know, I know a lot of women suffer with this. They're like, I don't want to do all of those things until I get my body at a certain Mm -hmm. weight. And I'm just like, nope, like the work, my why is way bigger than that. Like my work is way more important than what I look like. And so I'm going to get up on stage, even if I am 30 pounds more, weigh 30 pounds more than I want. And I'm going to like walk the talk, you know, and get past that. And I think, um, I'm not to say that was like simple to do, but I think I'm there. Um, yeah. Right. Yeah. Just how did that. you do that?
0: How? What was the the sort of internal dialogue that you had to have to get to a place where you were comfortable with that, mm-hmm. or maybe not a hundred percent comfortable, but comfortable enough? <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. I think it was that the work is more important. Like, yeah, my mission to empower women is more important than what I think of my body right now and whether mm-hmm. I look like my, you know, twenty-five year old self. Um. And then I just realized like that's not important. I looked at other women on stage doing awesome work and I was like she's not like a size 6. Like she's a size 14 and she's rocking it and I love mm-hmm. what she has to say and I I'm like don't even care what she like what her weight is or mm-hmm. you know how old she is cuz she's totally in her power. She makes me feel like great when I'm with her or when I'm in the audience, you know. Um so seeing other women do that and then I think, um, just doing it like practicing and getting up there and going, oh, it doesn't matter. Like, um, also it's going to sound silly, but I have a stylist, um, Mm -hmm. and she helped me pick out the right clothes for my body. And that helped, um, not to hide things, but like just to things that fit well, that were in style that I felt good in that really helped a lot.
0: Yeah, no, I'm glad you said that. I think that I think it actually, yeah, wearing clothes that fit you now is a game changer.
1: That's awesome. It really is. It is. It made a big difference. Yeah. I mean, I just think I mean, kind of pivoting back to the coming full circle, I think that self-care um for women leaders is it's imperative. Like it's
0: mm-hmm.
1: it's a non-negotiable. You have to do it <laughs> if you're gonna get if you're to close the gap between where you are and where you want to be, then this has got to come with you. And whatever self-care looks like for you, um, you know, make it your own, but bring it along with you. You know, I think a lot of women are like, well, I'll get to that later once the business is successful, or once I get the promotion, or once we get, you know, done with this project, then I'll do the self-care. And it's like, no, now's the time. To do the self-care that now's the time when you need it most. Yeah. Um, and it will serve you the most. So when you're in yoga and you're stressed <laughs> because you're like, I could be, you know, pitching clients or I could be writing that blog post or whatever it is for you. Tell yourself like the yoga is in service of all of that. And I will be much more effective, productive, and creative if I get through the yoga class or I get through this run first. Yeah. Um, and I think that can make a big difference.
0: I could not agree with you more. (laughs) (laughs) So what is next for you, Jessica? What are you excited about?
1: Well, um, a few things. So the Superwoman Summit is wrapped up and we're already planning for next year. It's October 19th, 20th, and 21st in Portland, Oregon. And we'll be doing our next round of ticket sales in January, February for that. So anybody who's interested should stay tuned. Um, I'm also... um, kind of building out a empowerment kit for individuals who want to build their own uh, networking groups around the country. So um, I run these quarterly events called the Superwoman Societies. They're smaller networking gatherings. Um, There's typically some sort of learning or content involved. And I've got women around the country who are going to be starting their own. And I'm really excited about that. And then I'm launching a salary and negotiation course in January. So if anybody's interested in salary and negotiation, stay tuned on my website, which is uh, superwomanproject.com. All things Jessica Williams land on superwomanproject.com. Perfect. (laughs) So um, you can find me there. But yeah, and then if anybody's really interested in the work, just head to my website and sign up for my newsletter because I send out everything you need to ever know about the business in my weekly newsletter.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you, and and seriously, do check that out. If anything that Jessica said resonates with you, because this lady's a smart lady,
1: <laughs> and she does
0: good stuff. So, thank you so much. This was really lovely to talk to you.
1: Thank you. I know. I know you're going to be coming on my podcast soon. So
0: yes, I'm looking forward to that.
1: I know. I can't wait. So I'll talk to you then. <laughs> <Okay>. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Bye. That's
0: it for this week's episode of Women on the Rise. Visit laradolchcom slash podcast for show notes and resources mentioned in this episode. You can download other episodes of this podcast and subscribe in the iTunes store. If you liked what you heard, I so appreciate your reviews and recommendations because they help me reach as many women on the rise as possible. This episode was produced by me with editing help from Dave Nelson at Lens Group Media. Tune in every week for new interviews that give you the practical tools you need to recapture your momentum, mind, body, and soul. The Riveter is a work and collaborative space built for change makers, but it's not just a desk. It's a transformative movement for all women and allies to succeed. The Riveter is a movement because it believes that everyone can have a seat at the table and access to opportunities. The organization knows that wellness and professional development can be incorporated into the daily lives of working women everywhere. And the space and events are developed to support that. It's a co-working space with purpose. The Riveter now has two locations in Seattle, and the momentum isn't stopping anytime soon. Next year, look out for a Riveter in Bellevue. Then the Riveter arrives in California and Texas. Stay up to date with them on Facebook and Instagram or at theriveter.co.